vicious hip. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you got all the advantages. Welcome to the Aggie War Pod, a product of the Republic of Football Podcast Network, a Dave Campbell's joint. I am your co-host, Mike Craven, senior writer at DCTF. The other voice you'll hear on this podcast is a barbecue eating machine who won't shy away from a road trip or any off-key rendition of Creed. The former Fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman arrived in College Station as a three-star prospect back in 2013. He now resides in Houston, but his heart never left. Ladies, gentlemen, Reveille, I present the one, the only, Jay Arnold. Thank you for that incredible intro once again, Mike. Uh, I I don't know. The eagle-eyed viewer may notice that I'm in a little bit of a different room. I spent the hottest day on record in Houston history yesterday moving furniture. So uh, I, I can say that I don't recommend it. Uh, not exactly the best experience that I've ever had, but now I have a dedicated podcast room, which hopefully will have stuff behind me and maybe a new camera and, and we'll do all kinds of fancy stuff for uh, Aggie Warpod going forward. That is the second most exciting thing that's happened this week because it's game week, folks. We made it yeah! eight months of talking and writing and BSing about football that didn't exist. It is now here. Week one. Texas A&M plays New Mexico Saturday at Kyle Field. We will talk plenty about that game. Jimbo Fisher and a couple players met with the media today on Monday as we're recording this. So we'll talk a little bit about some news and notes from that one, including uh, naming this quarterback starter. Uh, before we get going, though, uh, you know, Home Field Apparel is our, our first sponsor on this show. If you'd like to, to join that group, please uh, send one of us a DM or, or get a hold of us somehow. Uh, at Homefield Apparel, you can get 15% off of your first order, promo code WHOOP. They have Texas A&M stuff. Uh, they have, I think, seven or eight of, of the schools within the state of Texas, a, a bunch of programs from across the country. So a really cool place to get some t-shirts. I'm wearing one right now, rocking UTEP. Still sad uh, about Saturday's loss, not because I'm a, a fan of the Miners, but because I had money on UTEP minus two. Uh, so that that was a that was a painful way to start the football season, uh, but also please rate us five star, subscribe, tell friends, all that kind of stuff. We're we're a growing podcast, so we appreciate that. We've had a lot of fun, and, and we're happy uh, to start our first football season together as a podcast. So that's going to be be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm just so glad that talking season's over. I know that's oh kind gosh. of like what we do is is talk, but uh, it's going to be good to actually talk about on the field product as opposed to hypotheticals and recruiting battles and, and all the stuff that isn't just playing football. I am a sports writer by trade, obviously. So I am of the opinion that a lot of times the most interesting stuff is not the football, but you need the football to be the vehicle of the interesting stuff, the players and the personalities and the coaches and the paths and the momentum and the hot seats and all that kind of the traditions, all that stuff is my favorite part about college football. But it get, I mean, the magazine helps me in April and May kind of keep up with like college football, spring practices, everything. Man, but July and August are tough, dude. Maybe August even more so because we're like kind of back, but we're not really, you know, it's going to be there. You're, you're hearing practice reports. You don't know what's true, what's not true. Uh, so we'll find out pretty quickly. Although you know, I'm not exactly sure what, what kind of test New Mexico is, is going to give the Aggies on Saturday. Uh, but we'll talk about that pretty soon here. Uh, for those new to the show, we we separated into four downs, uh, kind of like a football drive. Uh, and first down, we'll talk a little bit about Monday's press conference. Jimbo Fisher, Anaya Smith, Damani Richardson, kind of the usual suspects uh, up in front of the media. I guess the biggest part of the or the biggest news that came out of it, if we call it news, I think we all assumed it was going to happen. Uh, but Connor Wegman, officially the starting quarterback uh, for the Aggies. The other thing is, I know you asked here, and we'll get into it, we'll name a starting quarterback. Connor will be the to be the quarterback, the starting quarterback. But he and Max both had uh, great camps, played very, very well, uh, very tough decision. You got to make a decision, but, you know, both guys be ready to play and can play, and and where we go. So I think we're very blessed. And as we saw last year, you have to have – takes multiple guys sometimes to get through a season. Pray to God it doesn't. 
as far as that goes, I want nobody to be injured. But when you get two quality guys like we have, it really makes a big difference. So uh, in that regard, so we'll get ready to play and then go on from this week. Was there ever a doubt in your mind? Uh, not really. I mean, I was pretty confident that uh, this was going to be the decision. Uh, I, I did wonder if like Jimbo might carry on with the uh, charade, I guess it would be going into the game. Because, uh, I mean, some other schools are still neglecting to announce their starters. Yeah. Uh, I think most notably Tom Allen at Indiana has decided that they're not going to announce their starting kicker, uh, which I love personally. I uh, hate coaches so much sometimes. <laughs> but, no, nah, I mean, I don't think it was ever in doubt that, that Connor Wegman was going to be the starter. I just think there's too much at stake with you know it's it's a young guy you don't want to shake his confidence with him not starting plus i think the way he closed the season out was strong enough where uh there's no reason to make a a quarterback change yeah i'm with you there i mean eight touchdowns zero interceptions last year i mean the completion percentage wasn't great but he was a true freshman running an offense that i believe we all can agree was pretty archaic at times and uh, not quarterback friendly too too complicated in today's kind of world of, of modern football uh, Bobby Petrino comes in. Uh, how quickly do you expect to see the differences in this new office? Do you think it's going to be apparent right away, or it's one of those deals where we're not going to start seeing the ins and outs of it until they're really tested and need to pull it out? Yeah, Will it be I mean, so obvious? Will it be so obvious that we all can tell, or is it going to be more subtle? I think it's going to be a little bit more subtle. Uh, I mean, I think there's going to be some variations. I think the tempo is probably going to be the only thing that may be like, super obvious because i don't think you'll see petrino busting out some of the pre-snap motion uh early on and again uh with new mexico it's going to be a little bit more of a vanilla game i think miami's going to tell us a lot more about the changes in the offense than new mexico will yeah that's that's probably probably really true it'll depend on wh- what we see here and how how much of the the new i just wonder if like you know the motion and the the formations and maybe getting the quarterback rolling a little bit or just the quick read stuff if that's just apparent right away <clears throat> that there's a, a few changes in store uh, but we'll find out on Saturday uh, i think the other big news was, was uh, Chase Besantis going to start at, at offensive tackle uh Ruben Fathery still working his way back you know Jimbo said not from injury but just a conditioning standpoint which makes sense I mean you're coming off an injury it's hard to go play 50 60 70 snaps whatever that offense is going to do ease him back in there I think and this is true whenever you lose a position or whenever somebody starts for you for injury now if I'm Fathery even if I'm Trey Zunt right like I worry that this dude's going to come take my job and I'm never going to get it back yeah and there's some of that aspect of competitiveness anyway that you're going to have to deal with uh, as a player. And, and you kind of have to find ways to keep yourself motivated when you want a starting position. Uh, but I, I think this is more of a, like you said, I mean, Jimbo may say he's not working his way back from injury, but the conditioning aspect is still part of working your way back from injury. And, and it's still something that you're just kind of adjusting to. Uh, it's hard. It is hard to, and you, and you can't really, stay in football shape when you're rehabbing an injury you know i've done it twice at the college level where uh you know you you have a surgery and you can't really do much uh you know like maybe maybe you get on like a a pool treadmill uh that they have but it's nothing really compares to what you have to put your body through to uh get ready to play uh so that conditioning aspect of it is is extremely real and I'm, I'm not really that surprised with when uh, Ruben's injury occurred that he's still trying to, to get back in football shape. Uh, I don't think it's as concerning as, as some people may make it out to be, right? Like it, it's just kind of part of the process and, and more to do with timing than anything. Uh, but I think uh, having Basanta start a game against New Mexico, one, gets him experience out and in, in, in on Kyle Field and in front of what's going to be a, a packed house, uh, you know, even if it is an opponent like New Mexico uh, for the first game. So it kind of gives him a chance to adjust to that difference in the game uh, while also easing Ruben Fathery back into the lineup at some point. And then also uh, another thing I noticed about the offensive line, just listening to Jimbo's uh, comments, doesn't seem like Bryce Foster is all that for sure to play. 
It sounded like he was a full go last week, and then this week a little bit banged up, and they're they're trying to see kind of what he can or can't do. Along the same lines as Fathery, you know, we don't know the details of the injury, uh, but it feels like if this was Miami weeks, those guys would be ready to play, right? Like how much of that is New Mexico? And I know they talk about how every game is the same and 12, you only get 12 of them. Uh, but behind the scenes, I'd imagine there's a lot of just like realistic understanding of we don't need our full 85 for this one. If we can give them an extra week, let's do it, which seems yeah. smart. Yeah. And look, there's no reason to to push yourself against an opponent. And, you know, I don't want to disrespect New Mexico, but an opponent that AM should handle. Sure. Uh, it, it's a situation where, you know, if you run the risk of regressing, on the progress of your injury. Uh, and then you go into Miami and all, it's just not worth taking that risk. Uh, now, you know, like if for whatever reason, New Mexico just comes out and they give A&M all they can handle. There's going to be a lot of second guessing, but I just don't see that scenario happening. And uh, I mean, obviously you want Bryce Foster to be healthy. So you're kind of holding your breath a little bit. Because uh, I think he is, he's a massive part of this offensive line taking a step forward, him being healthy. So you're kind of waiting with bated breath there. But, uh, you know, from everything like I've heard, it's not a super serious injury. It's more of a precautionary deal here. And uh, if that's the case, then I, I wouldn't be super concerned. Uh, just kind of something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. He's had injury stuff in the past. So it does seem smart to play it safe if he's banged up at all you know and this isn't an sec game or like you said an opponent that should push you all that much you you should trust your backups to give some other guys some reps you just hope for him he's able to shake those just nagging injuries i mean you know as well as anybody just like what it how frustrating it is more mentally i'd imagine than physically when just like you finally feel like you're getting back and then you pick something back up and you finally feel like you're getting back and you pick something up i hope he's not in that cycle because to me bryce foster is good for a win Right. Yeah. Like you tell me Bryce Foster plays 12 games or 11 games. My my win total prediction is a game higher than if you tell me he only went plays four or five. Right. So I think he's that important to the offensive line. And then the last little note uh, that seems to be kind of picking up some steam and, and Jimbo Fisher didn't quite uh, guarantee it or, or confirm it, but he definitely talked about Torian York at linebacker in a way that sounds like a guy who's going to start or at least play a heck of a lot of snaps. Uh, people who have listened to this podcast since the beginning, way back into the spring, know you're a big York fan. Uh, I'm a big York fan from just discovering him a little bit uh, when Jared Wiley and Quentin Johnston were, were at Temple. And you go to those places on the recruiting cycle. You're like, hey, coach, who's that next guy up? Hey, hey, Jared, who's that next guy up? And they were already talking about Tory and York uh, three, four years ago. So not surprised. Uh, that he's made this much of an impact. Anybody who watched the spring game knew he was going to play a lot of as a freshman. How hard is linebacker compared to maybe some other spots to play as a true freshman in it's game tough. one, week one? Yeah, it is. It is. It is tough. And I mean, you know, when I was at AM, we had a couple guys that, that come in as, as true freshmen and, and played uh, at the linebacker spot right away. Uh, Jordan Master Giovanni was a guy that that had starts as a true freshman on that AM defense of twenty thirteen when I played. And uh Darren Claiborne was another guy that played in twenty thirteen as a true freshman at linebacker. Uh it's tough. It's extremely tough. But York has that thing where he came in early, right? And and that helps a lot in the development. And and a big part of playing as a true freshman, getting in the playbook. And it, and from what I've heard from people around the program. Torian York was a guy that got in and learned the playbook immediately. And that goes a long way towards getting on the field. And obviously he's a guy that's, uh, you know, maybe a little bit overlooked as a recruit, but he just seemed to really impress people with uh, the way he played the game uh, in high school. And, 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 you know, coming up through those levels, a lot of times I think we get caught up in the measurables. It's just part of how the game works. Uh, but, but Torian really seems like a guy who plays beyond the measurables and, you know, if he's in there and he knows the playbook, then I mean, there's, there's worse things that you can do than, than throw him into the fire right away. So, uh, this is again, like he's getting New Mexico as the first opponent, which is a nice time to, uh, kind of have your first experience in front of a, a huge crowd, like you will at AM. Uh, but it's, it's going to get 
crazy right away. Uh, it, it's it's hard for you to play at any position, but again, linebacker as a freshman, a lot of times linebacker is like a quarterback of the defense. So that's uh, it, it's a challenge, and it's it's tough for guys to get out there. But I'm uh, he's a guy that we've both been excited about, so I'm kind of really interested to see how it turns out. And that's a position unit that needed to be pushed. Somebody needed to come in to make some plays and, and good on Jimbo and Durkin and, and the whole staff for best players going to play. If that's a true freshman, that's a true freshman. Like uh, we don't care. That's why we're recruiting these guys, right? Like let them go out there, let them play, let them have week one, get those snaps against New Mexico. If you're going to play them a lot in week two against Miami, you might as well just like start them and let them play and figure it out against New Mexico. He started as a young player in high school. I know that's not the same, uh, but it is hard to jump from middle school to high school as well, right? Like, like that's a, that's a pretty big jump, and he did that for a, for a team that reached, I think, the state championship in 2018 or 2019. Um, so he's played on some good teams. He's been a young guy uh, out there with older dudes. So uh, like you, interested to see how he handles uh, week one. Speaking of week one, let's move into second down and, and start our preview. We'll talk first about the New Mexico offense against the Aggie defense, and then we'll move into third down and flip that over, talk a little bit about the A&M offense against their defense. First, though, some some quick kind of overview notes uh, for those who don't know enough about the Lobos uh, going into week one. They were 2-10 and 10 in 2022, 0-8 in the Mountain West. They play in the Mountain West Conference. Head coach Danny Gonzalez is entering his fourth season in charge. He is 7-24. and 24. Uh, Only 15 wins in the last six seasons, and only nine against FBS opponents. So they were dead last in scoring last year. Uh, only scored more than 20 points in a game one time against FBS opponents in the last 21. Uh, so not good, right? <laughs> not a good football team over undergoing a lot of changes. They, they use the transfer portal uh, pretty decently, especially on the offensive side of the ball, but still uh, not a whole lot of weapons. The offensive line is not going to be huge. Uh, they're decent at run, run blocking, but not great uh, pass blocking at all. At least they weren't last year. Uh, what are some of the things that, that you're really looking for, you know, it's not even just the scoreboard, but just to see this defense kind of going up against the offense that it should dominate. Yeah, I mean, just improvements in the running game and, and being disciplined in your gaps. Uh, you you look at this New Mexico offense, and and obviously they were not good last year. Uh, there's been a lot of turnover. They have a new offensive coordinator in uh, Bryant Vincent, uh, who was the interim uh, quarterback coach or the interim head coach at uh, UAB last year, uh, which is probably what helped a little bit in getting Dylan Hopkins as a transfer uh, from the Blazers. But I just, again, like you said, it, it's not an offense that A&M should have problems with. So for me, it's more about seeing the new guys come in, uh, like a Tory in York and, and seeing how they perform, seeing how disciplined the defensive line is and making sure that they honor their gaps and, and maintain integrity there. Uh, seeing what the situation is at corner, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not expecting this New Mexico team to, to throw the ball around a bit. Uh, I think they'll probably try to run it a little bit more, especially because that was AM's uh, weakness last year. Uh, but it'll be, it, this is these early season games like this are more about addressing your own flaws necessarily than, than seeing what the opponent brings to the table. Like when I'm, when I'm previewing a game like New Mexico, I am more focused on what A&M's problems were from the previous year. And, and again, it's rushing the passer, it's stopping the run and it's just being more disciplined in general. Yeah, for me, I mean, I wrote down three things that I wanted to see from Texas A&M defense um, against New Mexico. One, just no bozo plays, right? Like, don't do anything dumb that costs you the Miami game or that makes it sloppy. Um, don't don't let anybody behind you on, like, a running back pass or some kind of weird trick play because you know you're going to see a couple of weird things there uh, against New Mexico. So just play smart football, uh, you know, disciplined, you know, smart football. Also get your fits right. You kind of mentioned that, you know, we've talked about this a lot during the podcast that a lot of that, the running, the lack of running success as, as a defense or lack of success against the, the run game as a defense wasn't because the defensive tackles were getting pushed five yards down the field, or there's not talent there on the defensive side of the ball, uh, but they just weren't in the right spots. A lot of times, like just gaping holes where you're like, where, where is the person that's supposed to do that job uh, last year? Um, 
and then dominate, right? Like they're, you're physically better. Like that defensive line uh, should just absolutely, like anytime they throw a pass, you should be going down the quarterback's neck. Anytime they run the ball, the running back shouldn't be able to get uh, a lot of momentum. It felt like a lot of times last year and the last few years, Texas A&M's played with their food a little bit defensively, just like go out there and be the dominant team um, that you're supposed to be. Um, Like you mentioned, I I don't see the game plan being being to throw the ball around a lot, right? It is don't have the guys to block up front. They don't have the weapons outside. I mean, they should be better outside than they were last year. Uh, Luke Wysong is back. who was their leading uh, receiver last year. They added Caleb Medford from TCU, who's a pretty nice player. Uh, just a, a loaded wide receiver room at TCU. He'll do better at the G5 level. Jeremiah Hickson moving up from Alabama State. pretty decent, solid little player. Uh, and then DJ Washington is a big dude, like 6'5 uh, from Juco. Didn't have the grades coming out of high school, uh, but a pretty talented guy. And so just kind of how you match up against those bigger wide receivers will be interesting. Uh, but they'll probably learn lean more on the running game, try to keep the clock moving, try to j- just <laughs> navigate through any – uh, problems, you know, ULM transfer, Andrew Henry is a pretty good player. And then they bring back Christian Washington. So uh, not an offense with a lot of weapons, not, not a team that is going to surprise you and, and threaten you with a lot of stuff. And so for me, this seems like almost like Sam Houston last year where the defense should just dominate and a shutout is in the cards for sure. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing too, that I'm looking at is just, New Mexico historically is a program like we we talked about. It. They're not going to throw the ball. Uh, it's I really want to see if the defensive line makes big plays like we expect from them, right? Like you want to see this defensive line take over the game. Like you said, A and M's defense has a tendency to play with their food. Uh, I just want to see from from the first snap guys like McKinley Jackson and Walter Malone kind of creating havoc for that. Uh, New Mexico rushing attack, uh, which again, I think they're going to try to lean on uh, with AM's deficiencies there last season and the fact that that uh, New Mexico hasn't been good at throwing the ball. Uh, Can that be hard? Like as a, as a, as a defensive player, like, or I guess even as like an offensive lineman, like, can it be hard to kind of go into those games where you know you're supposed to be physically dominant, dominant, and then just like go out there and do it? Like, is there is there a mental side of that to where this isn't going to be an even matchup? I need to just go destroy this dude. Yeah, there's definitely an aspect to that that can be a little bit challenging uh, from a mental aspect of the game. So, for it starts in practice, right? Like from from the beginning of the week, like you know. Uh, this opponent, you see them on film. They're getting beat by guys. They're they're a team that went two and ten last year, zero and eight in conference. Uh, when you're watching them on film, you look at it and you you immediately see some of the deficiencies. So in your mind, you kind of have to one stay uh, motivated, mm-hmm. right? Like you want to make sure that that you're still taking it very seriously and still watching the film and picking up on tendencies and and seeing what you need to do to to play better but at the same time like it it can be good from an aspect of you're thinking about it like wow i get a chance to to really show how much better i am uh and there's some motivation to that too because i mean got to be honest with you if you're a competitive guy like you want to beat the best but you also want to just dominate opponents who shouldn't be on the same field with you right so there's that aspect of it uh it's kind of finding that balance uh, between, you know, not, you know, completely uh, overlooking an opponent, but also being reasonable from a game planning perspective, right? Because, like, if you're DJ Durkin, you don't want to show everything that you have in the bag of tricks. And I'm sure we'll talk about that with the offensive side of the ball, too. But you're hoping to win this game and dominate without getting deep into the playbook. So you've never, sense. so you've never felt bad. You know what I mean? Like no. you know, you're like three quarters in and you're like, man, I'm just ragdolling this dude. Cause I've had some, I've had some guys in high school tell me that like those big four or five star guys that like, especially when they're at the three, four, a level, you know, when they're not six, a guys where it's like, yeah. sometimes it's hard just to go beat people up. And like bully them, but I guess at the college level, it's close enough to where it doesn't feel like yeah, it's it's close enough. And like most of these guys were the guy still at their high school. Uh, if you're playing Division One football, 
yeah. like you were a pretty good athlete. You can tell I've never that. physically dominated somebody before because <laughs> I'm I'm intrigued by the idea of it, and uh, you know I've just never never experienced it. Well, really. and and honestly, for me mentally, like I had to flip a switch because that like what you need to be able to play defensive line. That's not who I mentally am as a person, and so I couldn't in my mental process think of it that way where I feel bad for an opponent uh, mm-hmm. because like I have to have a certain level of intensity to be able to execute uh, what I need to do as a defensive lineman. So, I mean, for me personally, I was just like, you know, this is a chance for me to, to better myself. Right. Like, I guess in the, in that sense, coaches talk about that. Like you're competing against yourself. That was kind of my thought process was I, I I'm not looking at the opponent, in front of me and feeling bad for them because my job here is to be the best version of myself that I can be. So if I'm weighted down by the fact that I'm feeling bad for a guy that, that I'm beating, uh, it just, it doesn't allow me to play with the intensity that I need to have. And uh, not every guy's going to be the same. I don't know. You know, there probably is some of that in, in, in like in high school, it's a little bit different too. Like you sure, mentioned. Sure. I mean, yeah. Uh, the, the level of athlete and some of the guys that <laughs> you're you're lined up across from can you can kind of tell that they don't want to be out there at times yeah. in high school. Yeah, 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 yeah. There is not a lot of that at the college level. Uh, so again, that's just kind of a, a window into like what my mindset was playing defensive line. But yeah, you, you just don't really have time to feel bad for people because, uh, I mean, even if the opponent isn't as good as you like they're still going to be probably six four 300 pounds i mean you could still get hurt easily that's true i uh we played against tommy harris when i was in high school he was at one of the clean schools or whatever and like we absolutely were scared of that dude like we walked into that game like just like afraid of our lives like you know we were just trying we just got out of algebra you know like we like we weren't like it was, it was the scariest day I've ever gone through. Uh, but you're right. Like at the college level, I mean, I'm half joking at the college level, you know, you're going to be a big dude. You're on scholarship. You're playing FBS football. Um, so, it, you know, you shouldn't have any of those thoughts in your mind, but it should feel that way. Like this game should feel at least defensively up front, like varsity versus JV. Like yeah. it, it just should. Um, and it's going to be a worrisome sign if there isn't that self motivation if you don't see that dominance from the very beginning because it feels like in this aspect a choice right like these guys need to make the choice to show up saturday and dominate because their physical skills will allow them to like you can make that choice against alabama and it may not happen uh but you should be able to make that choice against new mexico and then all of us be able to see that it happens on saturday yeah yeah and it's just there's so much you know expected of these guys just because of the the talent level yeah uh so i I think a lot of the motivation too will be one the defense you're getting doubted from last season and and the effort that that was put forward and and two you want to prove that you can live up to what was expected of you coming out of high school because those thoughts are always going to be in the back of your head like i'm expected to do great things it's time for me to go out there and do them is York the young guy that you're most excited to see? Because, like, for me, that's also my favorite thing about week one games is just, like, a, as a recruiting nerd, is seeing all the guys that I've covered and thought about playing college football and get a glimpse to see if they're who I thought they were or if they're not even on the field yet, just kind of how that shakes up. Yeah, I think uh, York and then uh, another guy is uh, Javon Thomas. Yes. Uh, are probably the two defensive guys that I'm most excited to see from a from a youth standpoint. I haven't heard as much about DJ Hicks as I thought I would at this point. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if he gets on the field. I don't know if he's battling uh, kind of injury. He's one of the guys that didn't show up in the spring. Uh, yeah. So obviously playing some catch up, but in a game that should be pretty lopsided, you know, maybe some of those true freshmen get out there, you know, cause they get four games now uh, before they're, they're able to burn their red shirt. So um, that's the other thing too, is kind of see who the first guys up are off the bench and who those young guys are that, that feel like they earned some snaps. I always enjoy that early on. Plus, I mean, the defensive line group is just uh, incredibly stacked, right? <laughs> I yeah. mean, if 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 you're coming in and, and you're a guy like Hicks, I mean, you're gonna have your chance, but it is a tough too deep when I look at it to to kind of break your break into. I think he's a guy that will find a way out on the field, uh, but from a from a depth combined with talent standpoint, I mean, mm-hmm. the defensive line group is just it's going to be hard to get there right away. No doubt, especially in the interior. 
Uh, let's move to third down. Talk a little bit AM offense uh, versus the North New Mexico defense. Um, there's, there's a new DC in town, New Mexico, uh, old Rocky Long is in Syracuse. I freaking love that guy. I, I'm sad he's gone. <laughs> I, uh, I hope he does well at Syracuse. Uh, just a legendary personality and a big, big figure out there at New Mexico. So uh, good luck to him. I don't think a lot will change defensively in terms of schematics and stuff like that. I mean, I guess nobody runs Long's defense the way he does it, but I think they're going to have kind of a similar format there. They did lose a lot defensively. And nowadays with the portal, when you lose your defensive coordinator, you're going to lose a lot. Like a lot of the guys who didn't graduate, it ended up jumping in the transfer portal. Um, so just a whole new cast of characters over there. Uh, Sire Riley is probably their best player. Uh, Ray Leotelli, I can't say his last name. He, he's he's gonna he's back from injury. He's their middle linebacker. Uh, he probably lead the team with tackles. Dante Martin at cornerback is pretty good. Uh, added another TCU transfer this time on on defense and, and Diarco. Perkins McAllister. So uh, a couple pieces there uh, on the New Mexico defense. None of them going to scare uh, A&M's offense. The biggest mismatch here, probably offensive line, defensive line, but also the, the skill positions of A&M uh, should dominate yeah. against this secondary, against these linebackers. That's a tough first assignment uh, for a lot of the new faces on the New Mexico defense. Just go out there and cover a nice Smith and Evan Stewart and, uh, try not to get blocked by Layden Robinson and all the other guys. So uh, what are you kind of looking forward to on Saturday uh, from this offense? And why is it uh, if the offense looks like it's Bobby Petrino's or not? Like we're like how many times, <laughs> I guess before we start really talking about this, how many times do you think the camera goes to Petrino on the sideline to see who's like holding the the playbook up to like call plays? Like how, how much is that dissected on Saturday? Oh, it is going to be the storyline for sure. They should put a little box at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, but even more than the play calling, I'm just interested in seeing tempo changes, right? Yeah. Uh, Jimbo's offense calling card of it is running the clock down just almost every snap. Uh, I just want to see, you know, not a whole bunch of timeouts burned for delay of game avoidance, right? Like, that's one thing with this offense that frustrated me a lot. Uh, watching it was the amount of times that the timeouts had to be called. Uh, and obviously there's going to be some of that because it's the first game of the year. Like th those kind of issues are kind of unavoidable. Uh, but with Petrino having a little bit more variety in tempo, I like to think that we're going to see him less. Uh, so that's the biggest aspect of the offense that I want to see is just a little variety in tempo and not constantly running the clock down. Uh, other than that, I mean, offensively, I think I just want to see the, the feed the studs philosophy in, in practice. I just want to see, uh, how they spread the ball around because there are so many incredibly talented offensive weapons at skill positions. Yeah. For me, I kind of wrote down three things again, like I did for, for defense. And it was, you know, kind of like what we're talking about with the defense, the offensive line needs to dominate. I don't care if it's, you know, no Bryce Foster out there. Fathery's not there. Like, you know, y'all are four or five star recruits. Y'all are way better than New Mexico. Go open holes, go dominate, set the tone. Uh, every coach I ever know says that the offensive line kind of sets the toughness of your football team. Um, go be great against New Mexico. Uh, I want to see Ruben Owens. Like I I'm here for, for the Ruben Owens show, whether that be special teams, whether that be as a running back, whether that be out of the pack, out of the backfield as a, as a receiver, maybe we see him a little bit as, as a slot player on occasion, like Devon a chain was used, especially early in his career. Uh, I don't think Jimbo gets enough credit for the positionless football stuff. You know, like we all, like he's been kind of doing that for like five or six years of, of using running backs as wide receivers, wide receivers as running backs. Ruben Owens seems like kind of the next in line to be that guy. Um, and then also, just the the lack of turnovers, right? Like be secure with the football. Don't make any bonehead plays as the quarterback. We'll probably see a couple quarterbacks. Uh, and then, you know, running backs just, you know, hold on to the football wide receivers that just that week one stuff that you can't afford in week two. Like for me, week one is all about like getting all that out of your system and seeing if you're a clean football team. Uh, we'll find that out with AM because they need to become one pretty quickly uh, because as we saw last year against App State, you can start losing games early. It's not going to happen against New Mexico, but you can start losing games early because of some of that just silly stuff that you should have ironed out in August. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I talked about the, uh, obviously you mentioned Ruben Owens and I was going to kind of lead into the, the youth excitement that I had for the offensive side of the ball. I think Ruben Owens is that guy for sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, minimizing the mistakes, 
uh, is generally what you want on both sides of the ball for your first game of the season. Uh, man, I just I remember going through camp and after the first game of the year in 2013 against Rice, like in 2014, we were going right into conference play against South Carolina. But for both contests, the emphasis in camp was placed on not making mistakes that were going to uh, negatively impact the game. So that's uh, that's the big thing that I'm looking for offensively. Yeah, we'll see if A&M is able to uh, kind of minimize those and see what kind of changes take place. I also want to see uh, what Wegman's ability or allowedness to do out of the pocket. Like how much is he allowed to not use his feet necessarily <coughs> like in the running game, which would also be cool because back when he was healthy at Bridgeland, he could really run. Like he's an athletic yeah. dude, but more so how he's allowed to use his legs to change the point of the pass, right. To get out of the pocket, to waggle a little bit, to get on the edge and to create some, some opportunities there. Kind of what, what that change looks like in the offense. Yeah. And Again, this may be something where we don't see a lot of that just because yeah, it's New Mexico and you want to keep true. him healthy. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would like to see just kind of how he's able to improvise, you know, because there's always going to be some aspect of that in a game, right? Like somebody's going to miss a block at some point. Even I would love for the offensive line to just be completely flawless this game. But even if they have a fantastic performance, at, at some point, Wegman's probably going to have to improvise. So seeing what he does there at that point, you know, and to your point, seeing how uh, how he's moving, if he's looking a little bit better, uh, you know, like he was at Bridgeland when he was in high school and and his movement there. Uh, I don't think we're going to see too many quarterback runs again just to kind of preserve the health. Uh, but it will be interesting to see just kind of how he changes the, the, the point of, of release. And, and how he ends up uh, affecting the game uh, by by moving. So again, like I, I, I I'm like you. I want to see him kind of run a little bit more, mm-hmm. but I don't know that I want to see him run more against New Mexico. And I don't necessarily even need to see him run in like designed run plays that put him in. I just want to see him roll out a little yeah. bit and just kind of get on the sprint end. action. Yeah, just kind of change the point of release, make the defense think a little bit more about it. I'd imagine that makes angles a little bit easier sometimes for certain routes and stuff like that. And so just change it up, give the defense a lot of looks like let my, cause there's two schools of thought here. One it's preserve as much as you can for week two against Miami. The other one would be put a lot of different stuff out there in week one. That way Miami has to worry about different personnel packages, different schematic packages, where Wegman's going, where they're throwing the football from, what screens you're doing, what motions you're like, there's that's, that's part of it as well, right? Like how much do you balance kind of keeping it all in, but also forcing them to spend those 20 hours of practices on, on other stuff than just your, your personnel. Yeah. And man, it's just, there is, I, for me, like I'm struggling with just how excited I am for football (laughs) to be back. So it's kind of like I have all these thoughts rolling through my mind. But, yeah, when it, when it comes to Wagman and, and the quarterback situation, it's just, man, build off of what you did last year as far as ball security and, and, and you know, being smart. And I think that maybe we see him take a few more risks, right? Maybe this is a game where you kind of take those deep shots that, uh, that Wagman didn't necessarily take as many of last year. Uh, maybe he does put the ball a little bit risk. I think this is a time to do it because I think you can bounce back from those types of errors a little bit sooner. So maybe, maybe that's what I want to see from Bugman is is just uh, kind of pushing the ball downfield a little bit more and, and and maybe being willing to to throw a couple interceptions. For sure, that interception number can be misleading. You don't want to have too many, obviously, but but none kind of indicates that you're not taking any chances. You're not pushing the ball down the field, and you have too many weapons not to to be out there slinging it around. And even if you you know have a turnover or two, just know you're going to be explosive enough to make up for that. Uh, that's another thing that I think Petrino can instill in Wegman is just confidence uh, in his ability. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Before we move on to fourth down and ask Jay. I guess I'll start off the SJ segment in fourth down with a question. What's your score prediction for Saturday? (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go with 45 to 10. I should know this because I'm a gambler. What the line is. I think 
I'm not looking this up right now. I think it's like 37 and a half the last I saw. It might climb to 38 just to, to kind of get that hook. As a gambler, let me give you a piece of advice. Buy or let go of that half point if it's at 38 and you believe Texas A&M is going to cover that. Sell that half point or buy that half point, depending on which way you are with that line. If it gets to 38, um, that sounds about right, though, right? Like, what it, did you look it up? 38 points. Dang, I'm pretty good at this thing. I, yeah. I, well, or I just the over under is set at 49. I might take the over on that. Yeah, I won't, <clears throat> I won't do that math quickly off top of my head or whatever. <laughs> uh, but that, that means that they're not expecting New Mexico to score, uh, that much at all. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll probably go like 42 to 10, uh, Texas A&M. Uh, maybe you'll have a light, late touchdown with the the third string out there, the freshman out there, or something special teams or a turnover or something. I don't see them getting much after that. And, and I don't see A&M kind of putting the pedal to the metal and trying to score 50 points and, and blow out the team. Uh, I think Sam Houston last year was like 34 to nothing or, or something around kind of that score line. Uh, give me 42 to 10. I think the offense looks really good early on and the defense shouldn't allow much at all. Uh, it's going to be hot <laughs> and it's going to be hot. So you want the game to go by quickly. Just get that over with, run the football, get out of there and uh, get to Miami that next week. Uh, let's go to, to fourth down. Let's wrap this thing up. Uh, I think each week we're going to try to do fourth down, just an ask Jay segment, uh, put in those questions on Twitter uh, or wherever you need to get them across, and we'll kind of use fourth down as, as a Q&A here and talk about what's on everybody's mind. I'll, I'll add a few questions in here as well uh, to get Jay going. Uh, first off, uh, it's going to be a lot of guys' first game uh, in Maroon out there on Saturday at College Station, 6 p.m. against New Mexico. What do you remember most about your first college football game? <laughs> well, for uh, for 2013 against Rice, I remember it was hot. <laughs> uh that that's one thing that will always stick out to me but uh my first game and here we're going to get into a fun story here for a second uh my first game i did not think i was going to see the field at all that season i thought i was going to redshirt uh and adding to that fact was a week before we had our uh end of camp meet the aggies and team picture day uh where i knew we weren't going to be practicing uh, so I may have, uh, overindulged at an event, uh, the night before and slept through meetings. This was before you were 21, uh, allegedly. Yeah. Uh, and again, I don't, I'm not telling you what activities I may have indulged in. Sure. sure. Uh, I was up late and, yeah. uh, I ended up sleeping through meetings. So, uh, I really thought that I was not going to end up playing the next week. And, you know, at some point somebody gets a little dinged up and needs a little break. Uh, and coach price ends up basically throwing me out on the field because I wasn't paying attention. Uh, <laughs> and that will always be, uh, my most vivid memory of my first snap in college football. Uh, in Kyle field in front of, you know, however many people were, were there at that time, uh, just going out there and thinking, Oh no, I am actually <laughs> out on the field. And I did not think, I mean, I was mentally, like I had gone through the playbook and everything. I knew all that. I just didn't expect to actually see the field. And then, uh, sure enough, I got my first snap against rice in 2013. That almost feels like the better way to go about it because it didn't sound like you had a chance to be nervous. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of nerves because anytime you run out on the field, and I was like, because like at that point, the AM entrance, we had to like walk under the west side of Cow Field, mm -hmm. uh, down to the tunnel at the far end, and then come in. Uh, I was nervous because I thought I was going to like trip running out on the field. I was like, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. Uh, but that was like the extent of my nerves because I was like, all right, cool. Now I'm just going to watch the game from the sideline, uh, stand in front of the air conditioned benches and the fans, <laughs> try to stay cool. And then all of a sudden I'm out there and I'm like, OK, well, here we go. That's wild. That, that's pretty funny. Shout out Coach Price. Obviously going to be a, a first season in a long time uh, without him around. Um, yeah. What do you remember the score? Oh, man, uh, it was a close game. First of all, Rice had a good squad that year. Yeah, they were pretty good. They had that two-year run back-to-back -back there. Yeah, and uh, and there was the Walter Twins, I think. They were it's also good. the game that Johnny was suspended for the first half. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah. uh, it was a uh, it was an interesting first game to say the least. Uh, but I think it was like I don't know. Our defense was not great. I want to say it was like something like fifty two to thirty eight or something like that. Uh, I'm gonna have to look that up now because that's gonna bother me. But that the the final score is not what I remembered <laughs> from that game. Uh, I also remember that we gave up a ton of rushing yards. Uh, was the other side of that. Uh, the final they had score a, they was had some good. They had a couple of good running backs from out of Crosby. The uh, Walter twins were there. I think I, I can't remember if Dillard was still the quarterback there or not. But uh, yeah, uh, Rice was Taylor. Good. Taylor McCarg was the quarterback. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. and then. Uh, so the final score is 52 31. Uh, I think McGuffey was there too at mm-hmm. that point. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting game for sure. It's, it's kind of weird how like some of the little details come back to you on yeah. stuff like this. Yeah. Rice, uh, they're going to get boat race this weekend. Probably they, they start their season at Texas. Uh, so that won't be a much easier time for them. I don't see Texas A&M allowing 31 points this week. I'll take the under. On if they they allow fewer points th- than you did, no wonder you needed to get on the field uh, so quickly back then. Uh, uh, but also, I guess another question we got was, uh, how do you think the Jimbo Petrino dynamic plays out in the season? Man, this is it's an interesting one, right? Because I think we'll find out more about the dynamic in the close games, so it may take a while uh, to find out how the dynamic is going to play out, but. I can't help but wonder if we've just overblown this whole thing. I mean, there's I, I think always, we have. There's always egos in college football. Like if if you're a coach at the college level and you're, I mean, I think anything above a position coach and even most position coaches, like you have probably a massive ego. It's just realistically kind of what you have to have. You need to have it. Yeah. Yeah. To to have the confidence in yourself to coach that level. Uh, so I think we've kind of overblown this deal. And I also think Petrino is a little more, uh, realistic with what he is now at this stage in his life. Right. Like, I I think there's maybe a little bit less ambition, uh, considering he's kind of been to the, the highest level that he's probably likely to reach. And, uh, now it's more about just kind of staying around the game. I think. And I mean, obviously there's going to be some ambition, but uh, I just think that we've probably overblown this whole scenario about the dynamic between the two. Sure. I I, I tend to agree with you. I do think it's interesting. I do think it's going to be a fascinating uh, personality clash, especially if things get going bad, right? Like if there's a couple of weeks where it's just not working or what, or whatever. Uh, but you're right. Like every head coach is in those meetings, like yelling at those guys, if it's going bad, right? Like whether it's Bobby Petrino in there or, or yeah. not, I think it'll free up Jimbo to do a lot of other head coaching stuff. And so I think that'll be really good. Uh, but yeah, I think it's one of those deals that we're not going to know anything more this week than we knew the week before, right? Like everybody's going to play nice uh, against New Mexico, especially when the offense uh, is running. And then you know, that's kind of what we do. That's, it's kind of the whole problem with the seven or eight months of the talking season, right? It gives us an opportunity to talk about the same thing over and over again. And I will say Jimbo didn't do himself any favors with that whole deal, right? Like we could have stopped this conversation back in March by either giving Petrino 15 minutes in front of the press and just answering questions like he did during media day, a couple weeks ago in college station or by Jimbo just getting up there at the first spring practice and going, it's Bobby Petrino's offense. He's going to call plays. Obviously I'm going to be in the room and I'm going to help out and I'm going to suggest some stuff and I'm the head coach and I've called offensive a lot, uh, but that's Bobby's offense to do. And that's how we're running it. And you know, that's the end of that story and uh, would have been done there, but it wasn't right. He's kind of like struggled to just say those words for some reason out loud, but I do think it becomes a non-story. And as we've talked about on this podcast a few times, I'm more worried about the defense than the offense. Like I think the offense is going to be fine. Uh, I think the defense is where I have a, a few more concerns, to be honest with you. Um, who do you think leads Texas A&M in tackles? So are we doing season or just the season. Uh, Saturday's game? See, well, okay. I guess I took it as season. Okay. Uh, I think in the season, I think uh, you're going to see one of those linebackers uh, lead the lead the group in tackles. And that's kind of what you want, right? Because your defensive tackles are, and defensive line are going to be eating up the blocks leaving the linebackers to make the plays. Uh, so I'm going to go with Edron Cooper as my leading tackler for Texas A&M in 2023. I'm going to go with Damani Richardson just because I know he's going to play all 12 games. Like He's he's going to be out there. He's going to play a lot. He's going to be a starter. Like There's no question about that. Like If he's healthy, he's playing. 
where at the linebacker position, there may be a lot more kind of rollover or turnover or, or guys getting different snaps because they're not performing to a level or they get dinged up or there's just other guys there, you know, rotating. Like Damani's going to be on the field like 98% yeah. of the time. Uh, so I'll take him as my leading tackler. Yeah, I think Bryce Anderson might be a good pick here too. Yeah, that's a sneaky good pick. Like if we were laying odds, like Anderson may be like the the smart bet on the odds there. Or even at York, right? Yeah. Like that that would be that would that would give you some some return on your money as well. And he's probably going to play a lot of snaps there. And the, the spring game, I mean, the dude's a magnet to the football. Uh, so that'll be fun. Um, you're going to a game this week. I'm also going to the game this week. Neither one of us will be in College Station. I will be at Colorado at TCU. Uh, to cover the Deion Sanders Sanders antics, just just to see what the hell that is, man. Like that's just going to be so entertaining. To I see mean, bringing it back was. to DFW for his first game, it yeah. just seems kind of right, doesn't it? It's perfect, and I know he's gotten a lot of transfer talent, but like from for what I can tell, none of it's really on the offensive line or the defensive line. So like, how's that going to work? Like this isn't seven on seven. Uh, TCU is going to beat him up. And what I'm really curious about with the Deion Sanders 2023 tour and maybe in 2024 is how these coaches go about beating the crap out of Deion Sanders. Because there's a lot of people in the coaching fraternity that don't like to run up the score on other coaches. You never know when the shoe's going to be on the other foot. You don't want to embarrass the person because they may embarrass you. You don't know who you're going to work with in the future. And now all of a sudden you just beat that team by like 70 points. And now you need a coordinator and that's the, so you don't, you don't want to, but in the era of the transfer portal, a lot of these coaches, whether they'll go on record or not, do not like the tampering. They don't want other coaches in their rosters trying to get guys out of there. And Deion Sanders unapologetically, I might add, is that dude. Like he got, he bought Houston's running back. Like he just did. Right. And like, Sonny Dykes is close to Dana Holgerson. And, and I know there was some, there's some stuff behind the scenes with, with Dion and Sonny as well, because like TCU starting center played at Jackson state last year and didn't follow him to Colorado. He came to TCU. Like there's just stuff within the coach. So I'm curious if like people step on Dion's neck, cause now's the time to do it. Like Colorado's going to get better. Now is the time to take advantage of Colorado and Deion Sanders. And I just wonder if it's 40 to seven in the fourth quarter, if Sonny's still out there scoring points or if he calls off the dots. Yeah. The flip side of that too, is you talk about the coaching fraternity and and guys that have worked together and Deion Sanders kind of had a uh, different uh, path yep. to, to coaching uh, in, in college football. So there may be not as many ties there uh, as far as guys being a little bit reticent to run up the score. Uh, so I think you may see uh, a little bit of that this year with uh, obviously all the holes that Colorado has as a team and the fact that uh, Deion Sanders is unapologetically coach prime, right? Like that's who he is. And you're going to recruit against him. You're going to recruit against him for a while now because he's coming to the big 12 with you if you're TCU. And so you want to show your roster like, Hey, don't go there. We just beat that team by 50 points. Like you don't need to transfer to Colorado. And you also want to show that to juniors and seniors in high school that like Dion's, you know, I don't know if this is true, but I think you would go like Dion's all talk. You can come here and win football games. Like they went two and 10 or something like that. <laughs> um, you need to take advantage of that. Now, as you know, recruiting is a dirty business. You got to use any of that that you can. The dirtiest. Um, you will be at UTSA at Houston, which I believe for my money, the best game involving an in-state team on the docket this week. Yeah. Uh, it was a fantastic game last year in San Antonio, and I'm expecting it to be another fantastic game this year. So uh, I'm I'm pretty excited. The tickets are not expensive, uh, so that's also a plus, right? I can stay home, go see a game that's not going to break the bank, and it should be a fantastic contest as well. Uh, obviously, we'll we'll see, you know, how how it shows up. But I expect UTSA to travel pretty well. I mean, it's a short jog down like ten, uh, and then you know Houston. We'll see if there's some hype with them going into the Big Twelve now. Uh, so obviously like UTSA isn't going to be the draw that like a Texas coming to town is going to be later this year. Uh, but I, I still think there's a potential for, for a good crowd, uh, down there, uh, at, at university of Houston, I guess it's TDECU stadium, yep. I think is, uh, is the name of the venue. So, uh, Cougs and Roadrunners, I'm excited to go, uh, take in college football in person. 
Yeah, you can get some Frenchy chicken uh, either before or after down there. Third Ward getting gentrified like a mother. It's it's insane to go down Scott Street these days compared to like 15 years ago, even like five years ago. It's like, what is happening here? Uh, but that's going to be a good one. I think it's going to be the best game in the state. I published a story today. We're recording this on Monday about Frank Harris, their star quarterback. He's the best quarterback in best quarterback in G5, probably the best quarterback in the state of Texas. Uh, he came back. He he's a he's a victory for NIL because without it, he declares after his senior year, after his last senior year, and goes to either the CFL, or the XFL, or NFL, maybe a training camp, and, and tries to get on there. Just goes and lives regular life. But NIL made it enticing enough for him to come back for another year of UTSA, and then he was just going to go in for a routine cleanup. I'm sure you've had one of those, like just going to go in and clean up for a scope, going to get some scar tissue out of there. Well, it didn't work, so he goes back for a second one, and then he gets infected. Um, so he can't walk at all in March. He can't walk at all in April. Um, he quit football. Like he told the coaching staffs he was going to medically retire because he just, he was in so much pain. I didn't think he was going to get back. UTSA got a new surgeon just coincidentally. It didn't have anything to do with anything that had happened. They got a new surgeon in April and that guy goes, Hey, I think I can fix this thing. Just give me a shot to fix it. And I think he'll be back. He goes in for the fourth surgery in four months on his left Crazy. knee. It's seventh total on his left knee. He's had seven surgeries on his left knee alone. Ten total just like since he's been a senior in high school. He goes in in April. The new doctor fixes it, clears it up. He's able to start walking again uh, by May, running around again by the end of June, throwing the ball for the first time since the bowl game in July, <laughs> and uh, is a full participant in August and is going to give it a go uh, one more time. He's in year seven, UTSA, dealt with a lot of injuries early on and then emerged as a superstar. Uh, so excited uh, to see him there as, as anybody listening still can tell, I wish I was in Houston, uh, for that game. That's going to be a, a really good one. I'm hoping I get somewhere uh, with the TV to watch that one, uh, after the TCU game. Uh, and then lastly, a, uh, we're, we're both soccer fans. Uh, nobody laugh out there. I know soccer still has this weird, uh, stigma in the United States. I just want to go off on this rant real quick. Uh, a three to nothing game in soccer is 21 to nothing, right? Like I, I don't, I, I love football. We're doing a football podcast. I, I am a football writer, so don't say that I hate football. We make up the score, right? Like if it's 28 to 21, it's four to three. Like we act like they've scored a lot more points, yeah. uh, but they haven't at all. Uh, one question, uh, is Tottenham Hotspurs better off without Harry Kane? No. Uh, <laughs> That's the correct, that is the correct answer. Yeah. Now I will say that I am loving uh, Ange Ball. Uh, mm-hmm. as uh, as a Tottenham supporter, it is so much more exciting than than what Conte put out there, and you know what Mourinho put out there, and and going back to Nuno, and basically since uh since Pochettino left uh or was dismissed, uh Tottenham just they've been somewhat competitive, you know, off and on, floating around the Champions League mark for the Premier League, but it hasn't been exciting to watch. Uh, with Anjapasukoglu, uh, it is going to be fun no matter what. Uh, like we're probably going to lose some games, uh, and, and give up some goals, but man, it is so much more fun to, to watch this style of football. And I also think that I nailed the pronunciation of Pasukoglu's name. That was uh, nice. Which I'm, I'm most excited about, uh, in this thing, but no, Harry, Harry Kane is a generational player. Tottenham's not better off without him. Uh, I think they would have scored more goals uh, over the past few weeks if they had him. I mean, like no no disrespect to Richarlison. He had some of the best goals of the World Cup for Brazil, but he's not the striker that Harry Kane is. Uh, and so, like, people, there, there are contingents within Tottenham's fan base that are like, yeah, we're better off with Harry Kane. I mean, look at, look at how the season started, but... Uh, no, that's that's just nonsense, rubbish. I think we would say, yeah, uh, in Premier League talk. Uh, I do wish Harry Kane the best. I hope he gets some trophies, which he should, at the minimum, get a a Bundesliga trophy playing for Bayern Munich because I think they've won like eleven of those in a row mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, Tottenham's not better off without him. <laughs> they're not better off without them. They're better off with this coach, though. I mean, they they are they're playing a, a fun brand of football. I will say. They hadn't really played anybody. I mean, Man U was a nice win, uh, but they that's, that team stinks. Um, so we'll see how that goes. 
I'm a Liverpool fan. For those who don't know, there's a Liverpool scarf uh, behind it. We Tottenham and Liverpool play each other September 30th uh, in Tottenham. Uh, we're going to need to come up with some kind of like Aggie war pod uh, bet on that deal um, to see how it goes. Both teams with seven points through three games tied uh, atop the table uh, under Man City. I don't count Man City. Yeah. They're their own. They're <laughs> playing their own thing. Like they're playing a completely different sport. Uh, but Liverpool Tottenham off to surprisingly good start starts. I think both teams are going to struggle to kind of stay in that top four. Like I, I, I'm, I'm not a believer in what Liverpool's doing right now, uh, but uh, we'll see how that game goes. I'm excited to get like a bet going with you for September 30th. We need to figure that one out. Yeah. Uh, and like with Tottenham again, like the offensive attacking pressing style, it, it's paying off right now, but against a team like a Man City, things can get ugly in a hurry. Uh, I mean, man, it's just, it's just such, such a more exciting style to watch. Like, I don't want to see guys just hang back and, and try to counter. I want to see him pressing constantly. And uh, that's what AM, do- or sorry, AM, that's what Tottenham <laughs> does. Uh, very similar vibes, by the way, between Tottenham and AM as far as uh, <laughs> championships before World War II. Yeah. Uh, you said it, not me. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I got to be honest. I embrace it. Right. Yeah. I think I may be the problem. Uh, <laughs> again, like, when I, whenever I saw my Cubs, when you're not old there, enough to be the problem. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I mean, in a past life, who knows? Sure, uh, but true. I don't know how many how many combo A and M Tottenham fans there have been in history. I'm sure that number isn't so high. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably not a high number. You're probably in rarefied air there. Oh man, but yeah, uh, <laughs> thanks for letting us talk a little bit of Premier League to the to the listeners, right? Yeah, it's fun to to break yeah. that out. It's nice to change it up a little bit before we close out. I will say, Richarlison is the biggest brat in soccer and like the easiest person to hate in the world. Like I, I wish him nothing but the worst and I hope <laughs> the Everton every- days I'm assuming. Well, no, just, well that sure. Sure. But like to a Liverpool fan, Everton doesn't even matter. It's like a fly on, on your butt. Uh, but he's just a punk. Like he's just an absolute dork and a punk. And I can't stand soccer players who act like the stereotype like richarlison is like everything that like people who hate soccer think about soccer and that to me is why he's so uh disgusting in his beard like he's just an absolute like he's just somebody needs to punch him in the face which by the way everton has not scored a goal yet in this premier league season yeah they're so bad dude they're so bad i they've uh they fought off relegation the last two years i don't think they're doing it this year where do you feel so i'm one of those random liverpool fans that find the everton thing sad like I don't want them to disappear from uh Premier League football. Like I enjoy the rivalry. Like I I don't I don't I think Liverpool's life gets like worse if they're not playing Everton twice a year. Like that's one, those are guaranteed six points. Like that's a fun thing. But also like you want to play your rivals. Like Man U and Man City should play all the time, right? Like yeah. Arsenal and Tottenham should play all the time. It would suck to lose those games. We're we're finding that out in college football that it sucks to to lose those games, right? Uh, but man, they are bad. Every- they are so bad like as liverpool's like trajectory has been like the opposite uh that's got to be torturous like it's absolutely got to be torturous to be an everton fan yeah uh I'm, i mean i'm definitely glad to not be an everton fan uh but i i agree with you on the rivalries thing i mean like looking at tcu and smu yeah like the iron skillet going away pisses me off yeah uh and i i get that like i don't really have a say in that as not a fan of smu or tcu but man i just feel like that's what makes college football specials is regional rivalries and to see him go away just it makes me mad and that's like me that's pure elitism too right like that's tcu going like we don't need y'all anymore like we've outgrown this thing we have nine conference games like we're not trying to like because you're not it's not a money game it's not somebody you can just kill it's like one of those like lose lose situations is why texas is probably not going to put tech on the schedule or baylor on the schedule or tcu on the schedule because if you lose they just use that against you in recruiting and they like post it up everywhere and the coach goes viral for talking crap after the game but if you win nobody cares they're like you're supposed to beat that team so like it's not you can use it uh and so like tcu is just like hey we've grown past this but what's funny about it is smu is about to join the second best conference with the texas affiliate when they join the acc tomorrow uh because like you know texas a&m texas are in the sec so that's that's the best conference with texas teams I think the ACC is as good, if not better, than the Big 12, right? And SMU just slides into a power conference that has a better national standing, probably, uh, or at least perception, because you have Clemson and Florida State and Miami, than the Big 12. Uh, And the Ponies got money. There's one program in DFW asking their donors for money, and there's another one uh, that's just swimming in it. 
because they're like Scrooge McDuck and you don't have to go. They're going to give up seven years of their media rights because they can just get a donor to write the check for the money that they would miss yeah. out on. Like that's the, where SMU is about to get let out of the cage and people forgot. Like <laughs> there's a lot of money in Dallas. There's a lot of football talent in Dallas. And you, if you allow them to become the place that gets to go to the playoff or something like that, like that's going to be a problem for a lot of teams in the state of Texas. What I'm going to say on that note is that SMU and Miami have a few more similarities than people realize. Yeah, man. Yeah. hundred percent. And I mean, the head coach for SMU right now is the offensive coordinator at Miami uh, before. And there's like seven Miami players on the SMU team that transferred over. Uh, They're, they're getting a lot of those transfers back into the DFW. Like SMU is a sleeping giant, like for real, for real. Like it's going to be funny that the thing that buried them, like the thing that got them the death penalty paying players is the thing that's going to like rejuvenate that program. And that's paying players, right? Yeah. Like, like SMU is back because of the NIL. Uh, yeah. And if you allow them into the ACC, into a power five conference, like buddy, that TCU SMU recruiting rivalry, especially since they don't have to play anymore, uh, that's going to get intense. And so, you know, Sonny was just at SMU, like Sonny's won the last three iron skillets, two of them uh, as the SMU head coach. So yeah. Anyway, you got me ranting on like the rest of the state of Texas. Like we're now getting into my wheelhouse. Um, and so I enjoy yeah. talking about that stuff. But yeah, while it's, uh, it's going to be a fun final season of real college football. Yeah. While we're on the topic of the ACC hot take, uh, Duke is going to beat Clemson this weekend. Wow. Or I guess it's on a Monday. So yeah, that's not happening. But that, that, is, not, that but is a good hot that, take. That is going to be my hot take. I think we're burying Clemson in a way that we shouldn't. Like I think I think Clemson's about to do what Nick Saban's about to do, where like every mm-hmm. single time you close the door, like they're gonna be really good. And like I don't think Clemson's gonna be like back to the national championship good, uh, but they're they're gonna win the ACC. I think we're a year too early on Florida State. I do I do love Club Nick. Uh yeah. That's where a lot of my uh confidence comes from. Yeah, I understand. Bias. I just where I my just bias this, comes uh, from, probably. This this Duke defense uh may have some uh May have some tricks up their sleeve for a first game of the year. Clemson on the road, maybe not uh, not expecting as much of a challenge from a school, uh, but uh, th- that's where I'm gonna just you know sprinkle a little bit of money line. No, I get uh, on Duke. Right? Sprinkle away, man. Sprinkle away. Um, LSU, Florida State on Sunday, gonna be badass. I, I love this first week where they kind of spread that around. Um, and then Saturday, we're gonna both be at get- dude. It's here. Like it's yeah. absolutely here. Like I pick up my rental car on Friday and drive to Fort Worth. Like I'm, I'm super, I may just Friday night, go walk around TCU's campus just to like soak it in a little bit. Uh, Cause it's around go eat old South pancake house or some yeah. stuff like that. So. Stay away from the stockyards. Yep. hundred ball. No doubt there. <laughs> no doubt there. All right. Uh, we will have probably a more intensive breakdown of the game next week. Uh, because because it's a little bigger we'll, game. We'll I have was, we'll have film too. Yeah, we'll have film, and like I wasn't going to go position by position matchups for New Mexico versus Texas A and M, but it's something we can do more of uh, for Miami next week. Um, so yeah, we made it. Thanks for everybody for listening. Please rate, subscribe, five star, share with a friend, put on social media, uh, shop at Home Field Apparel, use the promo code Whoop, and we will talk to you next week after Week One, going into Week Two when they play Miami. For Jay Arnold, for Mike Craven, for Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Peace.